0: If you're like me, you're probably sitting at home in home quarantine because of the COVID-19 crisis. Right now, a lot of us are sitting at home, but kind of one of the benefits of it is that I'm brewing more than I have in years because I'm home more. That being said, there's a lot of us that are in small spaces. And so I have George Papala on the show today talking about brewing from an apartment on homebrewing DIY. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruising. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies. And you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject? you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you, So it can be heard everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the show that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're talking with George Papala, He's going to talk to us about how you can start homebrewing in a small space such as an apartment. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of your support that comes to us month after month that this show can come to you every week for free. So if you would like to support the show, you can always head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY and give it any amount. We have a couple of cool specials still going on right now. First of all, we have, if you give at the $1 level, for the first 20 people at the $1 level, we have the ability to get access to the ad-free RSS feed normally reserved for people at the $5 level. And if you give at the $5 level, we're giving out a cool free gift. I have actually given away my last Scrubber Ducky. That was the free gift we were giving, so I'm still in the process of figuring out what the new one will be. But I would like to thank Philip Cray. For giving at the $10 level. And his donation is actually the last scrubber ducky. I sent that out to him the other day. So let me know, Philip, if you like it. So once again, if you head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY, give today. Another way to support the show is by giving us a rating or review. Head over to podchaser.com or over to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Any feedback's appreciated. I read every single one of them, and I really appreciate all of the feedback that we've been given about the show. The last way you can support the show is by heading over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and using any of our sponsor links. You can use Cherokee Brew Supply. Right now, he has a great special going on only for homebrewing DIY listeners. If you buy $100 in homebrewing supplies, you can put in the promo code of homebrewing diy all one word and get 10% off of your total order. Really great deal by Cherokee Brew Supply. Thank you very much for being a sponsor. And if you click on Brewfather or any of our other sponsor links, the prices stay the same, but they know we sent you and they support the show. I'd also like to make another announcement that we've built a new homebrewing diy community over at Discord. I've had a Discord server for quite some time. Most recently, it's only been available for our patrons, and really, it's been pretty cool. I've had really great relationships with some of our patrons. We talk all the time. And I felt that the Discord server was so fun and so cool that I had to share. So I went through kind of got it set up to be more of a public facing discord server so if you head over to our website homebrewingdiy.beer if you look on the top menu bar if you're on a phone you can just hit the hamburger menu but there's one that says join the discussion when you click on that it's going to throw you right into the discord server and you can join it's 100 percent free to join and we have tons of conversations going on lots of people there already we have almost 100 people on the server already so head on over if you're looking for a brewing community to chat talk about homebrewing projects whatever head over to homebrewing diy's discord server it's a good time all right so i think we'll hop into today's episode today we're talking to george papala and we're going to talk about brewing in an apartment I'd like to welcome George Papala to the show. He's got this Instagram account that I've been following for quite some time called Apartment Brewing, and he really features a lot of beers that he makes in a small space in an apartment in New Jersey. So uh, welcome to the show, George.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Well, thanks for being on the show. And I guess the first place to start is, let's talk a bit about your home brewing history, when you started, and, and how 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 you got to brewing in an apartment
1: sure sure oh gosh uh it goes back um a while ago actually so I, the first thing that got me into brewing beer was um dogfish head 60 minute i'm sure a lot of brewers and a lot of people out there that like ipas nowadays uh, originally you know cut their teeth on those old school ipas like dogfish head uh goose island stuff like that so I remember drinking these beers and being like, wow, holy crap, they're super hoppy and, you know, what can I do to try to figure out how to, you know, replicate these or, or make these type of beers? So I started brewing at my parents' house and then from there, I moved on to moving to an apartment and then uh, kind of figured out how do I brew in a, in a small space, uh, being that, you know, I, I live with my – girlfriend at the time, now wife – and uh, figure out how we could make this work with uh, a lot of pieces of equipment and trying to figure out where to put all these things, but uh, on top of that, how to make really good beer.
0: Yeah, and I think that right now we're kind of in a place where people are cooped up. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, people are stuck home. And I think that one of the cool things that you could do right now I don't know what the situation is on the East coast, but we're here in Colorado. We're a shelter in place state right now, yeah. but the homebrew shops are actually open and delivering. And so, yeah.
1: so that's a similar situation by us. Um, so actually currently we're actually staying at, um, my parents-in-law. So over here, I have a little different situation where I'm able to brew on a larger system. Um, however though I've brewed countless batches in a small one bedroom apartment And it's definitely possible. It's definitely, you know, you're definitely able to make very good beer on a small brewing bag system. And I'm sure we'll get into, you know, how to do it, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of shops that are either doing shipping or you could, you know, go there, of course, with the mask on and gloves and all that stuff. And, uh, Pick out your grain. Uh, there's a really cool shop by me called the uh, the Thirsty Quaker in Jersey City, not too far from Hoboken, where my apartment is and where I brew. And they have a good selection of malts, um, different hops, you know, yeast you could choose from. And uh, you know, with everything being, I guess, shipped now, and people trying to be very careful as to being exposed and going out, you know, I would definitely you know, put orders online, support these little businesses. And of course, you know, try to support your local breweries as well. But, you know, if you're looking to brew beer, now's no better time. You have more time at home. You could do the research on your computer. There's a lot to learn, a lot of reading online. There's a lot of forms like homebrewtalk.com. Uh, and, um, hey, just mess around, figure out little recipes you could come up with. And, uh, you know, it's definitely possible to to make that good beer. You just got to Put together a good recipe, order the ingredients, and yeah, take a good shot at it.
0: Absolutely, and and that's kind of the situation we're in here. Uh, randomly, my homebrew shop here, Tom's Homebrew, I'll I'll give him a quick plug. Uh, he's actually call ahead, and when you show up at the door, they'll they'll leave your order for you right, right outside the door. Yeah, so, perfect. You know, we could do a contactless uh, uh, swap. I actually, funny. And I'll probably have told the story before I actually, I- at the beginning of this show, but uh, I have a CO2 link and I've now gone through two tanks of CO2 in the last <laughs> no. week. So, so I, are I, you I,
1: able to like get CO2 from the shop by just leaving the tank and be like, all right, give me the other one. Full yeah, we'll
0: just do a swap and and call ahead and pay for it. And here's the tanks and swap See, them
1: out. See, I, I was actually worried about that as well. And there's another shop where I'm staying right now, currently in Warren, New Jersey at My Parents-In-Law. And, uh, so they, they stopped the whole going into the shop, picking out your grain and you have to order online. However, you know, these shops, I'm sure they're going to work with you. And if you give them a call and say, Hey, listen, I got a tank that needs to be filled. Obviously you can't ship compressed CO2 or any gases at that matter, you know, they could work with you and possibly do a swap right outside and, or even buying maybe bulk grain. I don't know. Just got to give them a call and see, you know, if they'll, they'll accommodate that for you.
0: Exactly. So luckily I'm in that situation and, and I'm actually in a situation where I have a glut of beer because I've been home for so long. I've been brewing a ton.
1: <laughs> I'm actually sipping on, um, some homebrew right now. Uh, I was lucky enough before this whole thing went down. Um, we were able to go to the homebrew shop and, and make a nice batch of like a new England pale ale. So got maybe like four gallons of that now. And I actually have a, another beer in the fermenter here. Um, actually brewed with uh, the kvike yeast so could actually get into that yeast because that's that one packet if you're able to get one packet of that yeast you could make it last for like years
0: yeah uh, kvike is kind of like that it, it, i've done like three shows talking about kvike and still have a batch <laughs> with it and it's actually oh, my my next beer I'm brewing is going to be a kvike beer it's it's happening i my my Do main it, goal with kvike though right now is i'm trying to wait till in I'm trying to wait till the summer because I want to have the heat the outside. The warm situation, yeah. yeah. And, and, and right now, I live in Colorado. It's definitely the opposite yeah. of warm
1: here. Yeah, so. No, it's still it's still chilly here in Jersey. Uh, you could easily get one of those wrap little heater things that you could, I'm sure you could get it on Amazon uh, if they're still, you know, these little shops are still shipping. But um, yeah, you could plug it into an Inkbird controller and you could get that thing crank into 90 degrees and yeah, ferment really warm. Yeah, can and totally only put in like two teaspoons or a teaspoon of the yeast and then save the rest for another batch.
0: Yeah, this stuff is crazy. It, it yeah. goes a long, and a little goes a long way with it. It's kind of crazy yeah. like that. So let's talk a bit about the apartment setup you have. So what is the your one-bedroom apartment? What is the square footage on that?
1: So it's actually a good question. <laughs> it's like 1,500 square feet. It's pretty small. It's a one-bedroom apartment, um, you know, kitchen, bathroom, and like a little hangout living room area, uh, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, there there are some closets. But when you're living with someone else, that closet space does become limited. So you got to kind of think about the size of the equipment you're going to be using. And and for that, I found that I actually told my, my sister about using corny kegs for, for fermenting. and it, And it seems like for me, and if you want to make really good quality beer with, you know, the the less risk of oxygen exposure. Brewing in a corny keg with, like, a, a clear beer draft system so you're not pulling, you know, yeast from the bottom or dealing with cutting your dip tube and all that works super well because you're able to, you know, brew or ferment in that and, you know, dry hop, could close it up, carbonate in it, and then you could either serve from that same – keg or transfer it you know, like a 2.5 gallon corny keg and, um, you know, keep that in a small mini fridge. So, you know, that's, that's another thing though, is, is the space with having a fridge. So you got to figure out if you, if you have that room, um, I know a lot of people might not have that room, so they might have to resort to bottling. So if you, you could still use a corny keg for fermenting, but, uh, instead of, you know, transferring the beer into a bottling bucket, risking oxidation Um, You could actually get like a beer gun, like a Blinkman beer gun and fill bottles right from the the keg. And then, you know, you could drop in the carbonation tablets and all. But I I typically don't do that. I I go straight ferment in the keg, uh, use the fridge as a fermentation chamber, depending on, you know, what yeast profile you're trying to go after. And then uh, from there, you could transfer it into a a smaller keg or, you know, even another five-gallon keg. So the equipment does add up. Uh, I found, you know, stacking it in a in a closet helps with reducing space. Um, but yeah, you're just going to sometimes, you know, if you want to make good ve- beer, you got to you got to sacrifice and you got to have some pieces of equipment just sitting out.
0: Yeah, and if you're going to brew in an apartment that small, one of the the approaches is probably going to be brewing a bag, right?
1: Yeah, so that's exactly what I'm doing. So I got a 10-gallon kettle with a ball valve on the bottom so you could easily transfer the wort once you're done chilling the the wort Um, brew in a bag it's perfect Um, you could use the online soft software that they have to formulate a recipe Um, use brewing water to figure out your your water profile so that's another thing we should talk about is you know what water are people going to use because you know you don't want to just use the straight tap water because i think chlorine is probably our biggest enemy like you know you you don't have to really worry about so much of you know the calcium or, or sulfate and chlorides all that um i think chlorine would made it make a beer much worse um so i found actually i've been using there's this like little um i think it was called like an rv filter it's like a blue tube filter that you could hook up to a hose and i figured out a way to jerry rig it and hook it up to my my sink where I could take cold water straight from the sink, run it through the filter and, you know, fill up the, the kettle with five, five and a half, six gallons of water. And then that would be the, the water that I would use for, you know, brewing a bag. And then you could, you know, just a few you, you know, with a sulfate or chloride levels, depending on what type of beer you want to go after. I mean, I, I do sometimes use distilled water, which that helps as well. However, though, given these times, a lot of people aren't going out and going to lug, you know, five gallons of water from the store. So, um, you know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, using a, a little filter like that might might help in this situation.
0: Yeah, there's a, a those filters are pretty. The RV filters are pretty easy to get a hold of. Usually, can find them on any kind of uh, uh, RV website or something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, for me, luckily, I don't have a big issue with chlorine in my water. It, it It's actually pretty not heavy in the chlorine
1: flavor. Yeah. So. You're lucky. Like here yeah. in Jersey, you'll, you'll go in the shower and you just smell like a pool.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely the opposite. It maybe depending that. where you are. Yeah. I, I mean, we're the same water as Coors. Not that everybody loves Coors here, but it, that I have the, I, my water source at my house is the same water source.
1: <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Making a clean pilsner like that. I mean, that's, that's the best you want it actually. So, a lot of times, so I've been getting a lot of my water from, I have a friend that has a property up in upstate New York, so he has a well there, and I actually get that water tested, and that water is literally perfect. It has like nothing in it. It's like f- like 5 ppm of calcium, barely any sulfate or chloride, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically starting with a, a blank slate, so I could just add the chloride or sulfate, whatever you know, I want to do with a type of beer. And um, go from there. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I think one of the the mo- more important things is just make sure that your pH is in check. So, getting a good pH meter will definitely help with making good quality beer.
0: Yeah. And do you, l- let's talk about size, right? So, you said you had a ten gallon kettle. What what kind of things do you do to store that and keep everything compact so that your home brewing equipment isn't spread throughout your house? I'm married. Trust me. If I if my homebrewing equipment starts to leak out of the garage, I hear about it. So, what is the w- what kind of tricks do you have for storing your equipment?
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really lucky. My wife loves beer, so she's she's fine with it. It's it's actually it's very it's a it's a good thing. <laughs> but um, so what I do is I'll actually store the kettle in in a closet and then just stack things on top of it, like you know, our cleaning stuff. Or, you know, boxes, you could put towels in it or, or or whatever that you're storing in like bulk plastic, almost like a big Tupperware container, you could just literally put on top and, and stack it and use almost as like a little shelf. So if you throw that in, you know, a closet being next to the bathroom or, you know, bedroom, um, that definitely helps, you know, get things out of the way because you're not going to be brewing every week because, you know, in, in a small space like that, you might brew you know, five, you start out with like five gallons of water. And by the time everything is said and done, you'll end up with two and a half gallons of beer. So, you know, that will usually last a month or two, depending on how much you drink and, uh, how much you share with your friends. But yeah, I mean, that, that stuff could sit away for a little while in a closet and you don't have to worry about it.
0: And do do you ferment in your kitchen fridge or do you have a separate fridge for that?
1: So yeah, so I got a I got a small Danby fridge. I think it's like four point four cubic feet, and uh, I think you can get them in Costco. Not that expensive, like a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks, depending on if you get a good sale or not. Um, but yeah, I converted that to a little, you know, fermentation chamber where I hooked up an Inkbird to it, and I could uh, you know keep it at sixty six or whatever the temperature is, and then you know crash the beer from there.
0: Yeah, and just tape the the temp probe, like on the side of the, of the keg, right?
1: That works fine. I mean, the, the whole temperature with the beers is going to become, you know, on the outside, it's going to be the same temperature as the inside. I know the yeast do crank out a lot of heat, but you know, the keg's metal and it's going to radiate that heat. So you could, yeah, tape on that temp probe, or even if it makes you feel better, put a, you know, paper towel or put a little cloth to insulate it a little bit. But I found that, you know, even one, degree off it's it's not really going to ruin things.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, especially when you're looking at such a small space with the like like the keg fits in there, but there's yeah. not a lot of extra room.
1: Yeah, and you could put um so with that, so when you're fermenting in a keg like that, I found that um if you get uh like a CO2 hose that you would normally put onto one of the posts with um you know like the ball lock disconnect and uh, just get like a jar. You could just cut a piece of tubing that fits to that ball lock disconnect on the CO2 post and then, you know, just bubble, the CO2 will bubble out into that jar and once it's done fermenting, you disconnect it um, or before that, you know, you could, you could even when you dry hop, say you're making a hoppy IPA, um, you could turn the C- you could hook up the CO2 tank to that post and then purge it with CO2 as you're adding the dry hops in so you're not going to you know, oxidize your beer and then close it up. So it's, it's, it's really, you know, oxygen free and very clean because I found like I started out with using small carboys and transferring. And I know a lot of people are are making the hazy beers now. So when you're dry hopping in a carboy, you know, you, you have a risk of oxidizing the beer like crazy, especially when you're cold crashing. And then if you're trying to transfer it into a corny keg and you get you know, clogged tube and everything. It's just a pain in the butt. So I found that using the clear beer system where the, the dip tube floats on top and it has a little screen, it works awesome.
0: Yeah. So anybody who's questioning the clear beer is, is like a floating dip tube for the, the, so that your beer draws from the top. And yep. even, if, even if you don't have an apartment and you're trying and you're not fermenting in corny kegs, this, this flow is pretty cool because one of the things is that when you do keg beer, there's still yeast in there. Uh, for me, when I personally brew and I transfer to a keg and I go straight from my fermenter, I have a, a closed system that goes from from a fermenter straight into a keg. But even then, and I try to keep as much yeast of that yeast cake out of there, you still, for the first four or five beers, if you're drawing from the bottom, are going to have... Basically, sludge beers is what I call them. Yeah, and I would yeah. still totally drink them. And
1: yeah, that's what's that's what's great about using the the keg with that system because yeah, you could do everything in that one system, and you don't even have to transfer and then worry about oxidation or contamination. And I mean, a lot of people are drinking these beers fresh and quick anyway. So within a month, I mean, a lot of people overthink things and think like the yeast is going to go bad or you know the the Yeast are going to die and, and leach fl- off flavors into the beer. Like, I've, I've never had that. I've tried many situations where I've left the beer for a couple months, three months, and it was fine.
0: Yeah. And well, and to be honest, that's what lagering is anyway. You're yeah, sitting beer absolutely. on yeast for multiple months. That's how you bulk age a lager. Uh, the actual term lagering means you're sitting beer yeah. on yeast and cold storage. Cold, yeah. And cold conditioning it. So, in all reality, there's not. It, there, there is an a flavor that comes from that, but it's not a bad flavor. And the other part I would put into that that sitting on yeast, yes, if it is sitting on a cake of dead yeast for two years, yes, you could possibly yeah. have an off flavor from that. But yeah. if we're talking a, about a fresh beer you put into a keg, that keg is sitting on some yeast and you're drinking it quickly, you're going to have zero issues with it.
1: Yeah. And even if you have dry hops in there, they could sit for, you know, a month. And I know people will say, Hey, you're going to get vegetal or like green flavors. I've never had that. I've even dry hopped lightly, uh, lagers or pilsners that I brewed where literally the hops were in the keg with the floaty system for a couple months. And it was awesome. The beer was great. Yeah.
0: I, I agree with that. The way I make the hazy IPA, I throw my hops straight into the fermenter and then I do, like I said, I do a closed transfer. And so there's still hops floating in there when I transfer it. I mean, I've had dip tubes get clogged from hops. So obviously they're still floating yeah. in there and I've had zero issues as well.
1: Yeah. That's, what's great with, you know, fermenting in a corny keg with that system. Cause you don't, it filters out with the floaty, keep calling it floaty system. That's what uh, my sister and I call it. But the clear beer draft system, it comes with a little screen that you know, connects to where the beer flows into and you don't have to worry about any hop matter getting, you know, into the, the keg post and, uh, it's just clear beer and it works great.
0: What's the normal size of batch that you brew? I, I know you, you ferment in a five gallon corny keg. So w- what's your actual target for your finish?
1: So I'll start with, all right, I'll give you a quick rundown as to like, say I'm making a hazy IPA. Um, I'll start with 5.5 gallons of water. That's be pre mash. So I'll treat that water depending on what style of beer I want, put in the grains, you know, do the whole mash for 60 minutes, make sure your pH is within good range being around, you know, 5.2 5.5, 5.4 around there anywhere. And, um, after 60 minutes, pull it out. I don't like really squeeze the bag, but I try to get around five gallons of pre-boil wort and um after i let it boil for you know 60 minutes i'll end up with around four gallons of wort and then i'll transfer that into the corny keg so after dry hop and of course the yeast case cake and on you know trub and all that you'll end up with a good you know two and a half to three gallons of beer
0: Okay. So you, you still get that like one gallon loss because if I'm making a five gallon batch, I'm going to make six gallons of, of wort going into my fermenter, leave about a gallon behind just because exactly I don't want to suck the yeast cake into my keg. Right. Yeah. And and so you're, you're ending up around three gallons left and you put that into what, a 2.5,
1: three gallon keg? So either, you know, you could serve it or drink straight from that fermenter keg that you used or yeah you could transfer it into a a purge 2.5 gallon corny keg you could get those um they're a little expensive i I know they're about the same price as a five gallon corny keg uh but they work great uh they're good for even like bringing to a party you could fit it even right into a cooler uh that works great especially you know summertime's coming up i don't know if we're gonna be you know going to the beach or (laughs) or anything like that anytime soon but You know, it gives you that option of going around and, you know, sharing your beer with your friends. Um, But if you're going to sit home, you could either just leave it in that same, you know, one system vessel, almost like a unit tank, or uh, you could transfer it as well. You know, of course, making sure everything is purged of oxygen and uh, everything is clean.
0: That's totally true. I love 2.5-gallon kegs. They're super convenient. Uh, They also, because my kegerator really only holds i i have a full house i have a kegerator with three taps in it but if i wanted to add additional kegs i've thought about doing a 2.5 stacked on top of each other so that then i could split that into having two more taps and then having more options so yeah definitely 2.5 because that size of batch And to be honest, if you think about fresh beers, 2.5 gallons is about how fast you're going to drink. It's harder for me to get through five gallons of a fresh IPA versus 2.5 gallons. Exactly. And when you're talking about these hazy IPAs that are so huge, and you are on (laughs) the East Coast, so I'm sure every IPA you're getting is hazy right now. uh, But the idea is that those beers in a couple of weeks are different. They change so quickly.
1: Absolutely. And I, I always say, and I, I feel that honestly, let some of those hazy IPAs like age a little bit. It's not going to hurt them as long as your, you know, your, your, your system is sound and you know, you're, you're transferring everything oxygen free and clean. I mean, you could, I've, I've had some of my beers last for two, three months, four months, and they're still drinking great. And it actually sometimes improves during that time. Exactly, because a lot of a lot of the hops and yeast falls out, and then you're just left with clean, bright beer that's still hazy.
0: Yeah, and I've actually got a similar situation right now where I have a hazy IPA that is drinking so well, and it's it's just that perfect amount of haze. It's not yeah. it's not orange juice colored. It's it's actually you could tell all of the all of the floaties have have dropped out of it, but it's still got the haze. The proteins in there, right? Uh, Absolutely, but it it has this amazing flavor and it's so drinkable. Uh, it, it's and I totally get what you're saying, but uh, I I guess the I'm digressing now, so we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll get into the next piece, which is, you know, I think that a lot of people think that they need to start off with an extract kit, which I think extract kit, it would be an easy way to get started when you're in an apartment. But I also think that because of brew in a bag, you could almost just skip that step and go to all grain, right?
1: Yeah. So, so the first few beers, including that, you know, dogfish head 60 minute that I told you about before, that was all extract, um, which was fine. And, you know, it's easy to do. And once you're starting to learn about the process and ingredients and, you know everything it, that it takes to make beer, um, you honestly don't really need that. And if you want to make good beer that's just as good as some of the beer you could get at breweries, um, all grain is definitely the way to go, and it's honestly not that, that hard. Um, as long as you keep, again, everything uh, clean, make sure your pH is in range and uh, your mash temperature is in range and you don't mash too hot or too cold, I mean, you're going to make damn good beer. So I, I, I think that's, you know, definitely a plus. And as long as you do your research too, there's, there's so much information online and, um, you know, I'll start posting some tips and tricks as to, you know, what type of process I use or even, you know, the equipment, uh, within the apartment space that really, you know, helps make a good beer.
0: Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, specifically right now, there's probably a lot of people sitting in apartments going, Hey, what could I be doing to uh, maybe now's a good time to pick up a hobby or I've always thought about making beer. Now's the time do it. Uh, you're, you're never going to have more time at home as you will right now.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. So, uh,
0: you know, what, what kind of heat source are you using? Do you have an electric stove? Is it gas? What what are you using to actually get up to a boil?
1: That's a great question. So, um, (laughs) so my sister, you actually spoke with her in the past. Um, So she actually uses an electric stove. I've never brewed on an electric system or or electric stove, but but I could imagine, you know, the difficulties of it because, uh, you know, the heating up part of it, it takes much longer and then even maybe cooling down, uh, there's a lot of change or not much change. (laughs) Um, Whereas like gas, you have more control, but where I brew, uh, there is a, a gas stove. So I'm able to just put the pot right on top of the stove and I use gas and, you know, control it that way for, you know, a slow simmer or aggressive boil, or I'll uh, turn it on to increase the mash, mash temperature a little bit, but make sure, you know, everything is, is stirred because, you know, if you're using a, a stovetop, especially electric, it takes much longer for it to heat up. And if you say, turn it on, it gets really hot and then turn it off on the bottom, it's going to get super hot and it's going to stay hot for a while. So you want to make sure you're mixing. All that that liquid and you know the, the grains together, so you have uh, an equal temperature all through the mash. Um, I feel like that's that's definitely an important step. Um, yeah, some apartments are going to have gas, some apartments are going to have uh, electric. The the most important thing is get yourself a, a very good thermometer, one that's waterproof and that you could leave in the mash, you know, the, throughout the whole process, and then just keep things you know, stirred, make sure everything is the, the correct temperature. Um, you know, if you're making hazy IPs or just any beer, you want to keep the temperature between, you know, 150, 155. If you want the beer sweeter, of course, you could go up to 160, but then you're going to maybe risk, uh, getting some tannins pulled out of the, the grains. So you just got to, you know, keep an eye on temperature and, um, yeah, just, just pay attention to detail and take notes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, and I think that that's the same for if you're brewing in any situation, right? Whether you brew from your house, you brew from an apartment, the, the, the tried and true things of keep things clean, keep detailed notes, make sure that you ha- try to be as consistent as possible. Those situations never go away, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, the fundamentals of making good beer are the same no matter what size of space.
1: Yeah. And another important thing to add is like, you know, the, the things you use for cleaning. So someone like starting out, you know, you could use your sink to clean the kegs or fermenters. Um, I'd be very careful with glass carboys just because, you know, they could break and that's a lot of glass going everywhere. So I know they're old school, they work great. They keep oxygen out. Um, except for, you know, when you're transferring the beer, but, um, you got to be careful cleaning those. Uh, You could use your, you know, shower to, I've used my shower to clean kegs. Uh, The sink works great. Um, But if you get yourself, you know, PBW cleaner and uh, some hot water, you could put it in the keg, shake the water up for, you know, five minutes or so. Make sure it gets all the surfaces. You get a brush in there if you need it. I found that using that process cleans it up pretty well. And then, of course, star sand for your sanitizing needs. You just use filter water, follow the directions, and, and use the, the proper amount of star sand for the amount of volume of water that you're using. And, you know, you just got to keep things clean. Exactly.
0: My, my favorite star sand trick, you'll hear it from me time and time again on this show, is the spray bottle with distilled water and star sand. Yeah. It, it, you, absolutely. You, you just walk around your brewery spraying star sand on every little thing. <laughs> and it A, i've had the large bottle of star sand for the last two years that i have not gone through yet just because i'm able to only make bigger batches of star sand as needed when i'm doing bigger things like kettles or kegs but when it comes to a small thing i don't have to make a large batch of star sand and that's that's exactly it's very handy yeah and, and in a small space that's even more important to not have to have buckets when you don't need them right
1: Sure, sure. Absolutely. I, I know it might be hard to come by now, but the the 70% isopropyl alcohol, however you say it, that's that's very effective as well for keeping things clean, especially when you're transferring beer from, you know, the kettle once it's cooled to the keg or from your keg fermenter to the, the keg where you're going to serve the beer out of, uh, just spraying everything down with that alcohol, you know, definitely helpful. Plus, it's very helpful now if you're going to the, the supermarket and you're getting groceries or, or even your your mail. You could spray that down, so no one gets uh, any infections. But um, that's that is definitely effective.
0: Uh, yeah, one thing is one of my favorite things that's happening right now is uh, you go to the Reddit homebrewing page and the right at the top of it, it's Star sand is not uh, yeah. it, What does it say? Star is not rated for viruses. Like they have the in uh, great big bold letters. Because, trust me, it's already crossed my mind. Could I just spray this all down with star sand?
1: <laughs> yeah, I thought about that. But then also, you could literally drink a glass of properly diluted star sand and, and be fine. Like That's another thing. When you're cleaning things with star sand, being your fermenter um, or even bottles or whatever it is, like like they say, don't fear the foam. The foam's fine.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. It, it works really, really well. And it's acidic and that's how it it sanitizes that pH gets down to a certain level and the microbes can't live. And to be honest, I think that the pH is low enough for viruses. They just have never officially had it tested for viruses. And so therefore, you know, that's where that disclaimer comes from. Uh, But yeah, let's, uh, you know, uh, you know, what, what kind of things are in your future? Are are you going to, you know, stay in an apartment and, and, go that road or or is a house in your future what's your ultimate uh, brewery looking like
1: so we were locked up in hoboken you know for a a couple weeks uh with this whole thing going on and um i'm an outdoors type of person so like i can't stay in a closed space for very long i mean unless i had a lot of malt and beer to drink (laughs) then i could do that but uh you know you need to go outside and that's definitely healthy um and everything but um no, I definitely think that I'll get a house, you know, one of these days in the future, have a little system there and uh homebrew. Um, it's definitely a big part of my life. I love it. Um, it's fun and interesting creating different types of beer. Def- definitely, too, I feel like it's it's artistic. Um, you know, you, you can't always overthink things and think about, you know, oh, you need this amount of malt and, and that amount of malt. Like, like there's different obviously there's different percentages of malt that you could use and overdoing some is going to be detrimental to the beer. Um, but it's, you got to experiment and and it's fun. So using different hop combinations with malt yeast, uh, for your fermentations, it's going to make things much more fun. So definitely don't overthink it. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I'll definitely move somewhere else and, and have more room. Um, I would love to have a brewery, uh, given what's going on now, as you can see, a lot of these breweries are having a hard time. They have to change their whole business plans and and the way they conduct business. So that's definitely a challenge. Um, but people, they're, they're getting through it and people are buying beer and I I think it's always going to be around forever. It's just making a very good product and having, you know, a good brand. That's, that's, that's very important. Yeah.
0: I couldn't agree more. Well, George, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, it's been a great conversation, and I feel like I've learned a bunch of cool tips and tricks. If I were brewing in a really small space, which you never know, uh, I could end up in an apartment very soon. <laughs> 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 I, I'm kidding, uh, but the idea <laughs> is that uh, it, the idea is that we could. I think that you gave us some really great insights on on what it takes, and that it is possible in a smaller space.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, there's tons of information out there that you could go online and, and research. Uh, reach out to me if you have any questions. I'd be more than happy to help. Um, and yeah, it's it's yeah. a it's a hobby that could bring you a lot of joy and a lot of uh, you know creations that will make you happy. I I love it.
0: I'd like to thank George for taking the time to come on this week's show. It was very informative. And if you have any questions, if you have a small space and want to learn a bit more, just head over to homebrewingdiy.beer. Look in the show notes and I'll have links to George's Instagram account. And if you've become friends with him or follow him, you could shoot him a message and ask him a question. Or you can ask me a question. Either way. Well, that's it for this week. And we'll see you next week on Homebrewing. DIY.